the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Seven Republican candidates for president debate in Simi Valley. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. We'll take a closer look with Byron York. I thought Haley came out. Was doing fine for a while and just uh, just went into attack mode more than I think voters want. Uh, Ramaswamy just seems to get under her skin. And David Drucker. I mean, I think the number one question is, does it move the needle at all? Does it move the needle for anybody on stage? And does it move the needle vis-a-vis Donald Trump? And it's something we don't know. Skipping the second debate, the front runner, Donald Trump, we'll hear from Sean Hannity. They have so overreached in their desire to destroy this man that there has been a real backlash. Plus, an in-depth look at our border crisis. We'll hear from Todd Benzman. They saw the door was open to the United States, and they went for it. And Morgan Ortegas. When you have a weak president, then rogue actors around the world act accordingly. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me at X, the site formerly known as Twitter, at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. We'll start in Simi Valley, California, in the second debate of the GOP candidates looking for their party's nomination for the President of the United States. The stunning site of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, complete with Air Force One, served as the venue for Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, also Doug Burgum, Governor of North Dakota. It was the second debate of the cycle with all of the candidates trying to both stay on the stage for debate number three and to bridge the gap with the front-runner, Donald Trump. Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record, where they added $7.8 trillion to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have. Now, I can tell you this, as governor of Florida, we cut taxes, we ran surpluses, we've paid down over 25% of our state debt, and I vetoed wasteful spending when it came to my desk. And as your president, when they send me a bloating spending bill that's going to cause your prices to go up, I'm going to take out this veto pen, and I'm going to send it right back to them. And the conversation did, in fact, get a bit tense. Secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them, did back? You send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. I, they your were there before I even showed up at the yeah. residence. You here's, are here's scrapping. A, here's you a, are scrapping. I'm not scrapping. You know I fought they argued about former President Trump's non-participation. Donald Trump hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. You're not here tonight 
not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. And about TikTok. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Because I can't believe you know, they hear you've Haley got a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. That means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get just say, text messages, they can get all I, this of these is important. things. This is China very important for our exactly party. What they're this doing. is very important. And what we've party, seen is say, you've gone and you've helped China stop. build make medicines will, in China, not America. Me, you me. now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of no. us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden five million dollars. We can't trust you. Tim Scott addressed squarely and poignantly our past history of racism. Our nation continues to go in the right direction. It's why I can say I have been discriminated against, but America is not a racist country. Never, ever doubt who we are. We are the greatest country on God's green earth. As we sorted through this second debate, I turned to Byron York of the Washington Examiner. What did you think about the debate last night? Winners and losers. Uh, I was not very impressed, actually, uh, and I, for, for the, in this way. It, the race is a bunch of challengers to President Trump. The second debate was supposed to, I think, help clarify and perhaps re-rank the status of the challengers in a way that the first debate did. Uh, but I don't, think it, I, I don't think it actually did. It left the race kind of a mess, actually, uh, in, in this way. After the first debate, on the positive side, you had Nikki Haley, uh, emerging as a really significant player. You had Ramaswamy make a big impression. Now, half the impression he makes is negative, but a big impression. And then you had DeSantis, who kind of kept his head above the water, didn't really uh, shine in that first debate. On the other side, you had Tim Scott, who kind of disappeared during the debate. Um, Mike Pence did not do well, Chris Christie, et cetera. So the question is, so what happens after, after that debate is, is Haley emerges. Uh, as a real uh, contender here. Uh, DeSantis uh, still appears to be weak, and Ramaswamy, as I said, he's some people's cup of tea, he's not others. So what happens last night? Uh, you know, I thought Haley came out, was doing fine for a while, and just uh, just went into attack mode more than I think voters want. Uh, Ramaswamy just seems to get under her skin. So you had this period just a, a week or so ago of uh, news reports saying, well, you know, a lot of DOP donors are looking at Haley as their possible best candidate against Donald Trump. They used to think it was it was DeSantis, but now they're looking at Haley. Well, after last night, you know, what do they think? DeSantis does m- better than than he did before. Ramaswamy, I thought, was kind of a mess. He came out trying, <laughs> he attacked everybody in the first debate, and then uh, in the second debate, he comes out citing the 11th commandment. And the, the result of the whole thing was kind of a mishmash. And meanwhile, Donald Trump has maintained or even increased his lead since the first debate. I don't see that changing as a result of this one. Also joining me on Thursday morning on my show to discuss the interchange in Simi Valley was David Drucker of the Washington Examiner. Give us your assessment of last night. Well, I mean, I think the number one question is, does it move the needle at all? Does it move the needle for anybody on stage? And does it move the needle vis-a-vis Donald Trump? And it's something we don't know. Um, I think Nikki Haley had a good night. 
Um, I think Ron DeSantis had a good night. Um, I think Tim Scott showed up. He was assertive. He threw a punch. I think that's what Republican primary voters want to see. I thought that was interesting. Ultimately, I can give you my assessment of, of the debate, which I'm doing. What do the what do the voters think? And does it move the needle at all vis-a-vis the, the front runner, the overwhelming front runner? These are things that we'll find out in the coming days. We did see with the last debate, the first one, that Nikki Haley had a bit of a breakout and she has some momentum. But again, she's still within that broader second tier of candidates. There's one guy in the top tier and there's everybody else. Um, So we'll see what this one means. All right. Now let's talk about the guy who isn't there, the front runner in the national polls. And in New Hampshire, former President Trump ranges between 43 and 50 percent, which means half the New Hampshire electorate does not want him. And those are Republican voters, and you're an independent. You can vote in the New Hampshire primary if you want. Do you think Donald Trump has to show up at three or four or five? Because they're going to do at least five debates. They're not going to call up the debates. So as long as he is in the mid-40s and up in early state polling, I don't think he should debate. I don't think he has to debate. I think there are reasons why he might debate or maybe should debate, I should say, related to a a general election situation, like practice a little bit, because he's not necessarily the greatest general election debater. He's a very good Republican debater. He's not necessarily a good general election debater. And if he is the nominee, he will roll in to the general election contest and be out of shape. Donald Trump remains dominant in polling for the nomination at a national level, though it is a little bit closer in Iowa and a lot closer in New Hampshire. The former president is also facing four indictments. Sean Hannity talked about the Trump factor with Mark Davis. My colleague on AM660, The Answer in Dallas. You know, I think the Trump phenomenon, I mean, think about this market. It really does defy all conventional political gravity that in the case of President Trump, that he would get indicted, get arraigned, and his poll numbers would go up. Yep. And that is what has happened the entire time. And again, this is just my opinion. I think two things are at play here. Number one, I I do believe that Republicans think that as president, he did a really good job. I would make that argument every day to anybody that wants to hear it and explain in detail, especially the two years leading into COVID, COVID obviously complicating the presidency and unfortunately giving challenges that nobody anticipated at the time. But even with that, even though it was imperfect, even though there are things about it that I don't like that happened and shutdowns that occurred, and while I understood the need to develop a vaccine, and, you know, I think that was a challenging part of the the Trump presidency, but I also think they have so overreached in their desire to destroy this man that there has been a real backlash. Yep. And and people's reaction is, you're not going to tell us who we like. You're not going to play these political games. You're not going to weaponize our Justice Department. And I think that fundamental unfairness now has worked for President Trump. I, I would imagine there's going to be, during an election year, at least a couple of these trials. And I don't particularly think that Donald Trump has a real good shot at getting a fair trial in New York or D.C. or Fulton County, Georgia. I lived in Georgia, I think, as you know. 
And that would mean you have in an election year, you have a trial with a likelihood probably of conviction and where I think Donald Trump's best chance legally would be on appeal, kind of like Bob McDonald was convicted 11 counts. Mm -hmm. The the prosecutor in that case is the same special counsel uh, that has been investigating Trump. Uh, only to have those convictions vacated by unanimous vote in the U.S. Supreme Court. So I, I, I think the same thing would be the case yeah. with Donald Trump. I think he would do better on appeal than he's going to do during a trial. And nobody knows how long this is going to take, and that's a huge question mark. Every, everybody on that debate stage, everybody, just take DeSantis or Vivek or Nikki Haley, who seems to be doing well, they need half of Trump's base to peel off. And I just don't know if that happens, even as Iowa and New Hampshire draw near. I And, and here's the problem. Now you're going to take one of the major presidential candidates in an election year and you're going to put them on trial in an unfriendly venue and if they get a conviction all right i'm I'm not really worried about how donald trump's base will react to it they're going to go out and vote for him how will independence in the country the people that usually decide elections how will they react to that are they going to try to put him in jail a former president first of all we got to stand back there's never been a case in history where a president or former president has ever been indicted. These are uncharted waters. Coming up, they saw the door was open to the United States and they went for it. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our nation has a border crisis. It's baffling to watch. It's more baffling to hear from key Democratic leaders trying to assure us that the border is secure. We all have eyes. We can all read. We all know that's not true. Exhibit A in the not true department would have to be Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. That's our Secretary of Homeland Security, who smiles and obfuscates and can't remember in vain that we've actually solved our southern border problems. GOP leaders in the Senate pushed back this week. Here's the freshman senator from Alabama, Katie Britt. Guys, I would have never seen the border firsthand if this woman didn't know that I needed to see it immediately upon entering the United States Senate. I followed up with a trip with John Cornyn because they care. 
These people down there, Senator Blackburn would talk to them. She knew them. We walked through and we got to hear women tell us their story. And their stories are brutalizing. And to Senator Cruz's point, if you're not telling it, that's on you. Because when a woman sits there and she tells you not just about being raped, but how many times a day she's raped. Folks, you look at the number of people that have died at the border because Joe Biden has made it more and more enticing to come here. Make no mistake, this is a result of failed policies. We could fix this. We can't throw money at this and fix it. We have to actually change the policies. Sebastian Gorka turned to Todd Benzman, author of Overrun. How many terrorists were identified on the terror watch list crossing our borders recently, Todd? That number's up to about 270 now, Once that, now that we've got the August numbers in, since the inauguration of Joe Biden. Unbelievable. And, and these are only the ones that we know of, correct? Of course. Well, I mean, 1.8 million gotaways are on the book, so who knows what's in the mix in that 1.8 million. That's a lot of people. Let's tackle the, the, the key shell game aspect of all of this, Todd. When, when we have uh, the likes of the press secretary, the likes of Mallorcas, the likes of Kamala and Biden say the border has never been more secure. There were far more illegals. Well, they don't even say illegals. They say migrants under the Trump administration. My explanation for that is very simply the DHS app that illegals can download, and when they're outside of the country, they can pre-clear themselves as asylum seekers. And when they step into America, it's just a relabeling. They're no longer illegals, according to Biden. They're people who are being processed as asylum seekers, and that's how they lie. Is that the biggest part of the lie? You characterize that exactly right, but I would just add that they lied with a past tense on it, because now uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, The uh, illegal aliens are falling off the line and crossing illegally now in huge numbers. We had 180,000 of them right back up to normal. uh, So they're not not even pre-clearing themselves. They're just being let in. Uh, Yeah, they're just some of them are still coming through the CBP one app. We, We in the last year or so, we've had 225,000 fly from foreign countries into U.S. airports, Uh, for example. There's 220,000 right there that nobody's counting. But now they're just crossing illegally because they don't want to wait in line and they're getting in just the same. So the numbers are going up to where the intelligence community just six months ago predicted 10,000 a day, 12,000 a day. We even had a 14,000 day last week. And can you explain this news last week about Biden amnestying or or giving some kind of status to more than 400,000 Venezuelans? Well, what's that story about, Todd? Well, that's one of the most preposterous things I've heard yet. They are giving temporary protected status to Venezuelans, which prevents anyone from deporting them back to Venezuela. The truth is that very, very few of those protected Venezuelans we're living in Venezuela for years, six, seven, okay, eight, Okay, this is, this is crucial. Explain that. Right. I've reported elaborately about this with direct face-to-face interviews with multitudes of Venezuelans who tell me that they haven't lived in Venezuela in years. In fact, they were living in 15 different countries around Venezuela, including in the Caribbean 
safely, comfortably with asylum, with residency, working businesses, being prosperous, not in any danger whatsoever, like in Colombia or Ecuador. They saw the door was open to the United States and they went for it for an upgrade, but they certainly are not coming from Venezuela. They don't need protection from being deported to Venezuela because they haven't lived there in like a half a decade or longer. From this sort of entry to the crossing we're seeing at the border proper, we are witnessing something like our nation has not seen before. Michelle Tafoya turned to Morgan Ortega, spokeswoman for Secretary of State Michael Pompeo under President Trump. We've got a border crisis that is unprecedented. There are parts of the border that are unmanned because the influx in certain other spots is so overwhelming that they need to move all these people over to do paperwork. So they're leaving other parts barren. The cartels clearly control the border. This is embarrassing. This does not have to do with the migrants. This has to do with the system and with the carelessness. And we know at least 160, I think, terrorists on the terrorist watch list have been caught at the border trying to get in. This is terrifying to me. And what's more terrifying is that the White House doesn't seem to think this is an issue at all. What do you make of what's going on? Well, it's also kind of perplexing to me politically, not that we look at everything politically, but you see Democratic mayors, right, like the mayor of New York City, saying this is really bad. You know, everything that is happening to the surrounding areas, the counties, the people. So it's not just Republicans that are calling this out. You know, the people who are being affected by it, you know, listen, they don't care what party they're in, right? They're being brave and speaking up. I think when you look at national security threats and challenges to the United States in the near term, there's no doubt to me that this is our number one national security issue. Our undefended border is just unconscionable. It's not something that you see around the world. Like people tend to try and protect their borders. And it's not that we're trying to stop legal migration into the United States. That's why we're all here. But in fact, as you said, the number of apprehensions of people that are on the terror watch list, that happens more in like one year of the Biden administration than all four years of the Trump administration. And think about it, Michelle, these are the terrorists that are dumb enough to get caught. Imagine the ones that are a little bit more sophisticated. And then, of course, you have the fentanyl problem. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something interesting that I've heard Democrats trying to attack recently. They're saying, well, most of the fentanyl is not coming over the border, so it's not a border issue, which sort of makes my head explode because whenever you think about limited and finite resources, uh, whenever you're taking DHS people away from ports of entry and other jobs and things that they should be doing, and they're having to deal with a literal crisis on the border, well, maybe, perhaps that's one of the reasons why fentanyl is entering our country and is killing young people 18 to 49 more than anything else. And then, of course, there's the fact that we know that the chemical precursors come from China. Yeah. I'm telling you, I was beating up the State Department. I was beating up the Secretary of State, you know, for the past two and a half, three years saying you have to make this your number one issue with China. The chemical precursors, the cartels would not be able to get fentanyl into the United States if the chemical precursors were not coming from China. The Secretary of State, Blinken, finally brought it up when he was meeting with the Chinese. I think it was in June when he went over there to kiss the ring of the emperor, which is a whole yeah. other story, Michelle. Yeah. Um, and he brought it up and he said, well, we're actually going to start a working group about it. And I thought, oh, my God, you fell for it. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You fell for it. How about stop sending drugs into our country that is killing our young people or else, right? 
We're going to start a working group on it. What is the working group going to do? This is, it seems to me the mamby pamby milk toast response that this administration has to so many things. We're going to get a committee. We're going to start a working group. We need conversations. Yeah. We don't need conversations anymore because we see what's going on. We need results. We need right. action. Coming up. The silence from the White House on this issue is deafening to me. More of Michelle Tafoya with more in Ortegas when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt continues in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. The laissez-faire attitude that we have seen from the Biden administration and other key Democratic leaders has allowed the drug cartel to gain strength, gain wealth, gain confidence as they deal with a weak president on both sides of the southern border. Let me return for more of Michelle Tafoya's conversation with Morgan Ortega. Look, we're in the middle of an election year now. And you have people on the Republican side, particularly Ron DeSantis, who's been pretty militant about this, that yeah. we will take the cartels down. I mean, we'll use military to do it because it's pretty clear what's going on and who's got control and who's allowing or enabling all of these illegal migrants to come across. It is the cartels and they're making a fortune. And so, who are allowing the cartels to do it? The Mexican government. Yes. And why and- is the Mexican government allowing it to happen? Because... Lopez Obrador uh, does not have a good relationship with Biden. And when you have a weak man or woman, right, doesn't matter gender, when you have a weak person in office, which I would argue both the president and the vice president have been on this issue, when you have when you have a weak president, then rogue actors around the world act accordingly. It's human nature that when you're facing somebody weak, you can take advantage of their weaknesses. That's what that's what people in power do. And they do not respect weakness. And I and you're right. You said men or women. We've got one of each. We've got a weak man in the presidency. We've got a weak woman in the vice presidency. And I'm sorry. I don't care what anyone says. When you've got problems like we've got problems at the border, when it was, you know, incumbent on Kamala Harris to, you know, but we'll get at the root causes. Okay, that's fine. But in the meantime, could you stop the flow? Could we close the border? Oh, the border's closed. The border ain't closed. We've got pictures. See, it seems to me that, you know, Biden gets into office. Number one thing was to undo everything Trump did, no matter whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. Undo it, right? We are the anti-Trump. Okay, so they undo all the border policies And this flow begins. This administration also seems to not ever want to say, you know what, we probably made a mistake here. Or, you know what, this didn't go as planned. We're going to make fixes. The silence from the White House on this issue is deafening to me. Is it that, you know, you hear people, Morgan, say, well, this is what they want. They want to bring in new voters who will vote Democrat for the rest of eternity. You've got others saying, no, they just they just don't care. What do you think the motivation is for this complete lack of willingness to attack the problem? 
in my assessment, they are completely beholden to the left wing of their party. Uh, Joe Biden is not governing as the moderate that he campaigned. Uh, you know, he sort of said, I am this moderate Democrat. I'm a Pennsylvania, Delaware guy, U union guy. I'm going to come in and bring Americans together. And I think Americans, many largely suburban women and independents, went for that message. And he has, in fact, governed, in my opinion, as an extreme leftist, yeah. way more extreme than even the Obama administration did. Before I let you go, I do want to get uh, a little bit from you on China, because this to me is a, a massive concern. I, I have made it kind of my own personal mission to check labels on everything I consume. You know, obviously, we've all got our devices largely made in China, and that's unfortunate. And, it, you know, if I really were going to stick to my guns, I'd throw my iPhone out the window. I know. Me but too. I, yeah, yeah. But, but I need it. But so everything yeah. that I can avoid buying from China, I do. But why is it important? And does it make a difference to to stay away from these goods? Is that going to impact our relationship, our disentanglement with China at all? Or does it not matter, given that President Biden has said, ah, we're fine with China, we just want to get along? Yeah, first of all, I think the actions of everyday Americans matter, right? I think conservatives around the country finally got fed up with being silenced, uh, with being canceled. And you have seen conservatives speaking out against Bud Light, Target. You know, you go through the list. And so when finally enough individual Americans say, I've had it, yeah, I do think that makes a difference. Another thing I would remind all the viewers that hits home, I think, for everybody is TikTok. Mike Gallagher, my friend in Congress, has called it digital fentanyl. First of all, even if you don't believe or understand uh, how the Chinese Communist Party steals your data, if you're using TikTok, and you can say, well, they're stealing my data anyway, because uh, all of these tech companies have engineers in China. So even the American you know, social media companies can get my technology. That's fine. I would argue and say, listen, at a minimum, don't invite the Chinese Communist Party into the back door to spy on you and to infiltrate uh, your stuff. So I, I mean, you literally have a spy app on your phone if you have TikTok on it. And I know this is controversial with parents and grandparents and kids, but you've got to get your kids off it, not just because of what happens from the Chinese spying aspect, but also there is a different version of TikTok that Chinese teenagers and Chinese young people have access yes. to than the version of TikTok that's available in the United States. The one that's available in the United States is highly addictive. It's driving these young girls to all sorts of depression and suicide and all of these issues. The Chinese Communist Party is smart enough, Michelle, not to give that to their own children. Right. Why would they do it when they could give it to ours? Coming up, the border ought not to be a partisan issue. It's not a red or blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue. This is not a political issue for me. This is an American issue. Mark Morgan, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Mark Morgan served both with ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and subsequently with Customs and Border Protection in the Trump administration. Morgan's partnered with Tom Homan 
who also served with ICE, and others from that era to ring the alarm bell on the crisis that we're looking at today. Morgan was a guest of Stephen Tobbs on AM710 KNUS in Denver. The border is its own issue, and God knows you know that. And then we get into fentanyl. Man, it's fentanyl is killing Republicans and Democrats and independents and Green Party and white supremacists and everybody in between. I mean, we've got to get a handle on this. There is a relationship, isn't there, Mark, between an open, porous border and fentanyl? And relationship of, of illegal immigration and open border. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Border security, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a red or blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue. I've served under six administrations in my 40-year career, both Republican and Democrat. This is not a political issue for me. This is an American issue. And what's happening right now at our borders, it's not about immigration. But that's what the open border advocates and this administration wants the American people to believe. Right. Because if you're, if you're against what's happening at the border and it's about immigration, therefore you're against immigration. If you're against immigration, you're against brown people and you must be a racist. Right? That's the narrative. And that's why I keep saying, no, this is about border security, which to a large degree, our borders are driven to be unsecure because of illegal immigration. Illegal immigration comes, millions, border patrol resources are pulled off the line. We hand operational control over to the cartels who exploit it, and that's the moment, and that's how they push drugs, criminals, and potential national security threats into our country every single day. Let me give you a couple of stats. Yeah. In the past 32 months, 1.6 million known gotaways. I, I defy anybody, the secretary, the president, any, any member of Congress, to say our borders are secure when in 32 months we've had 1.6 million known gotaways. Those are illegal aliens that evaded apprehension and now call the United States home. We've also had over 100,000 Americans in a 12-month period die from drug overdose or fentanyl poisoning. That's more Americans that died from all the terrorist attacks, the Iraq, Afghanistan, and Vietnam wars combined. And I could keep going. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous what's happening on our southwest border. And everybody is just turning their head. They're yep. being driven by ideology or politics. And at the end of the day, every aspect of our nation's health, safety, and national security is being jeopardized. If nothing is done, if we just see status quo continue, what is your biggest fear? What, what, do, you, what do you fear the most? I, there, there, there's a lot of things. Here's what I fear the most. is Well, well here's what I fear is going to happen, I should say, uh, for us to change course. My fear is, is that we're going to have another large-scale terrorist attack yep. where thousands of Americans die. I, I, I'm concerned that that's what it's going to take before we wake up. Because, because after 70 years of our borders being wide open, that's what it took in 9-11. It was the first time in our nation's history where everybody unified and said, oh, wow, borders matter. Maybe we should secure them. And then as the years ticked by, we become complacent. We forgot about it. We lost our vigilance. And now we're right back to where we were. We're, we're worse now than when we were prior to 9-11. The global extremist terrorism, global threat still exists. It's not over, and there are terrorist organizations that their, their commitment is unwavering to still do harm to America, both abroad and here at home. And they continue to look for vulnerabilities, and they have to look no further than our wide-open southwest border to exploit it. And how can I say that? Based not only my experience, but fact. In the last 32 months, Border Patrol alone has apprehended over 260 illegal aliens on the FBI's terror screening database. In the last 32 months, they've apprehended individuals from over 160 different countries. Many of those countries we know have ties to terrorism or facilitate terrorism operations. Again, yeah. 1.6 million known gotaways. I mean, when are we going to wake up?
The scary part is it seems that, and I will make this political, it seems like this administration, at least currently, if not since its inception, is just not paying close enough attention, if any attention at all. I don't want to make it political either, but guess what? The border is political. I didn't make it political, right? Politics did. Politicians did. Ideologues did. The reality is you can't talk about what's happening on our border without talking about politics. And this administration, again, I served six, Democratic, Republican. But the truth is this administration, they took the most secure border in our lifetime, and it wasn't through incompetence. They intentionally unsecured it. I mean, this is by design. This is by accident. It's not they don't know what they're doing. They're doing exactly what they intended to do. And, and I'll give you a couple examples. Yeah. The network of tools and authorities we had. So, first of all, the silent cooper agreements, the quote, safe third countries we had with all three northern triangle countries, gone. The, the remain in Mexico program, gone. The wall system, gone. Interior enforcement, gone. I mean, I could keep going on and on and on. They've made new pathways to make it easier to further encourage and incentivize illegal aliens to come to our borders and exploit our system. I mean, it's, it's so, so this isn't through incompetence. This is design. We have to talk about politics because that's what's driving the policies. And at the end of the day, I think they're doing it because they see a perceived political benefit in having open borders. Meanwhile, Americans are dying as well as migrants are dying every single day. Every single day that we maintain the same policy we have, our borders unsecured, that operational control is being handed to the cartels. And I know that drugs, criminals, and potential national security threats are coming in, harming and killing American citizens every single day. That's the truth. That's not hyperbole. That's not politics talking. In addition to that, migrants are dying. I just don't think you can emphasize enough that Logic would tell you, history would tell you that at some point when you let things just go completely catastrophic and haywire, there will be a moment of truth. There will be a time when we all have to pay. That personally for me is my biggest fear. So I I agree with you, but here's what I would say. There's two, two kind of segments on that. One is I think we're already paying. 9,000 Americans are dying every month from drugs and fentanyl. 9,000 Americans. Right now, there are new American victims at the hands of illegal aliens happening every single day. I mean, that's what I'm saying. 1.6 million gotaways. I I mean, there are murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, and gang members in the 1.6 million already in the United States. We know that there are individuals on the FBI's terror screening database that are among the 1.6 million and now in the United States. Uh, so I would say it's already happening, but we're so wedded to our ideology and our politics that we're blinded by yeah. the reality. In the last 32 months, almost CBP has recovered and, and, and uncovered almost 2,000 dead migrants to your liberal left-wing friends. Yep. What's the comment about that? 32 months, 2,000 dead migrants, and the liberal media hasn't said a word. Coming up. So if you really want to help, you need to shore up legal immigration and stop illegal immigration so we can secure our borders. You do that, American lives will be saved and migrant lives will be saved. A few more minutes with Mark Morgan at Border911.com. In the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, stay with us. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. 
AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. One of the great myths of what we're looking at today is our virtual open border is somehow just an inconvenience, something that might crowd out an urban area here and there, but is minimal in its impacts as to risk exposure for the whole of American citizenry. Let's return for more of Mark Morgan at Border 911 with Stefan Tubbs, my colleague on KNUS in Denver. We know 30% of young women and children are sexually assaulted and raped on the journey. We know that many migrants, untold numbers, that after they enter the United States are thrust into a life of labor or sex trafficking. Where are the liberal then saying, oh, my gosh, this is an outrage? And the last thing that I would say to anyone, the liberal listeners right now, is your, your, your compassion has been hijacked. Your ideology and, and politics is making you ignorant. Because illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. It causes our borders to be open and the threats to pour in. So if you really want to help, you need to shore up legal immigration and stop illegal immigration so we can secure our borders. You do that, American lives will be saved and migrant lives will be saved. We're all kind of trying to preach the same thing. We are for legal immigration. I have cried yes. at naturalization yes. ceremonies. I'm sure you have as well. Yes, that that is it. That, that is it. So so all the liberal friends, all the all the liberals listening right now, that you can be for border security and against illegal immigration and for legal immigration. Those things are not opposite of each other. They're actually supportive of each other. I guarantee you, we get more effective at legal immigration, less migrants will actually die and suffer. Are we at a point where maybe we should be saying boycott Mexico? And I'm talking about, you know, it's especially from Denver. Fly to Cancun, fly to Puerto Vallarta, fly to Cabo, fly whatever. I'm not going to take a trip to Mexico anytime soon because I think they harbor terrorists and they're certainly in denial and they're absolutely responsible for the fentanyl crisis getting into the United States. I don't know if you feel that way, but I I do. I do. I think you're absolutely right. And again, to the liberal listeners right now, think about this. uh, Smuggling, not drugs, just smuggling human beings. In 2018, it went from a a $500 million business annually to right now it's about a $14 billion. Good God. And what do you you think the cartels do with a lot of that money? Do you think they donate to Red Cross? No, they're giving it right back to the corrupt government officials in Mexico who allows them and creates a permissive environment for the cartels to, 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 to operate in. And who are they getting that money off of? The backs of the migrants that people prefer to say they care about it's hypocrisy and the last thing i'll say is is mexico they are not our partners and they have not been our partners for a long time and we need to stop acting and treating them like partners that they are not well remember what malt said uh on saturday he goes he goes to jamaica for the biggest dea global conference who's the one country that's not there mexico mexico thank you for joining us for the town hall review with hugh hewitt Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Let me point out that you can catch our podcast at SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Among other top podcasters you'll see there, Michelle Tafoya, who you heard earlier on the show, and of course me, highly concentrated Hugh. Special thanks today, executive producer Russell Shubin, and producer David Bouchon, Alex Perez, Harley Eide, 
Adam Ramsey, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.